Amen. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, chapter 1, Paul says, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. And so today I thank God for you. I thank God for his work in all of our hearts towards generosity. Uh, that, that one offering funds our budget for missions for the entire next year. And because of your generosity and God's work in all of our hearts, we're going to be able to do a, a lot across the world for the glory of God and the good of man uh, through that offering. And so I'm, um, I, I don't know how else to put it. I'm, I'm really pumped up about that. Uh, that that's super awesome. And, um, and I'm just thankful to be a part of, of godly works like that. Are you? Amen. And so First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 8 through 12. We'll actually start with a background in chapter 2, verse 4. But uh, there, there are two messages that God brings me to topically every single year. Two messages in the years that I've been preaching. That I, I don't leave the year without having touched on those, preached on those uh, throughout the year. One of those is unity and keeping the, the body of Christ together, going in the same direction. And the other is an evangelism, uh, where God's people are doing the business of God and, and telling the old, old story of Jesus and his love through generations. And so this theme of this series is everyday mission. We are in the second part of this series. The first part was identifying people who need the gospel. Who are the people around you and the world around you that need the gospel? And the big idea for this second message is this, to invest your life where God is at work around you. To invest your life with those people who need the gospel in the world around you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. And he alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. There are plenty of voices in our culture that speak with self-centered desires to gain favor of people for personal gain for themselves. Paul had been accused of using his influence in religion to make money. If you look at chapter 2, verse 5, he alludes to that. And in this letter, Paul is writing to a church, but it's not just any church. It's a church that he planted with his team, a church that he founded. In Acts chapter 17, you can see the story of that. And in this letter in 1 Thessalonians, Paul recounts how he and his team sincerely cared for the people that they were trying to reach. In fact, part of the primary purpose of this letter was simply to assure those with whom he had built a relationship with that they loved them. This is Paul speaking not as an evangelist in 1 Thessalonians. He is speaking as a pastor. And as I stand before the Lord before you today, I have never been part of a meeting here, nor have I ever led a meeting here where it is our desire and plan and purpose and strategy to manipulate your emotions towards personal gain. Like never do we come in and go, guys, if we can get these people thinking about God and being right with God, then they'll begin to think about generosity and this will all become lucrative for us. Like we don't do that. That's, that's never been a meeting that I've led or ever been a part of 
especially here at Lindsay Lane. To do so would be diabolical manipulation, straight up evil and certainly subject to the judgment of God. And even to say it is a little bit of fear and trembling that that would be the desire of a ministry to twist your arms, so to speak, towards, towards giving to the purpose of personal gain for those who minister in the name of Jesus Christ. And so in 1 Thessalonians, Paul took exception to that accusation, and I would as well. And he said in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. A pastor and a Christian leader cannot be motivated by compensation. They cannot be motivated by friendly favors, personal praise, or a following of people. As Paul said in verse 4, our purpose is to please God, not people. If it were to please people and not God, I would preach much sweeter, easier to receive messages every Sunday. A pastor or any Christian leader should desire a right relationship with people towards the end of influential ministry for the works of the glory of God and the good of the people that they minister to. Notice this line in verse 6. In verse 6, it really sets the tone for everyday mission for everyday people doing everyday faith. We were not pretending to be your friends. Paul said, we were not pretending to like you so that you would do what we want, give money along the way, and us leave town. We were not pretending to be your friends. It is genuine relationships that please God and help people towards the truth and the grace of God. And so the big idea today, while last week was identify people who need the gospel in the world around you, the idea today is invest. Invest in those people and invest where God is at work. When we identify where God is at work, when we identify those people who have brokenness and who need the gospel, we must invest in those people and in those places. And this cannot be done when we just don't care. It cannot be done when the people of God don't care about people who stand in need of forgiveness and eternal life. And so if truly, if today is, a, is a, already a response, we would think to ourselves, we need help in that department as seeing people as Jesus did and caring for people as Jesus did. Our prayer at the altar Today at the end needs to be, Lord, create within me a clean and a new heart to renew within me a right spirit that I might not sin against God, that, that I would see people as people that are eligible for redemption and in need of what I have, in need of a right relationship with God, to know there's forgiveness at the end of bad decision, to know that there's grace and mercy. Help me to see people the way that you see them. And this comes from a heart that has been changed and being changed by God that cares about others. First Thessalonians chapter two, verses seven and eight, as the apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you. Paul was saying, I'm, if there is a Jew, I'm one if there ever was one. I, I am the person that you look up in the dictionary besides Jewish man. I, that was me, that's what Paul is saying. And he's saying, if, I, if anybody ever had the right to go in a synagogue and make demands of people, it was me. But listen to what he said. He said, instead, we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We, we loved you so much. Listen to this part, church. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only the good news of God or God's good news. We shared with you the gospel. We shared with you the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. That was a part of what we did. But the second part says, 
but our own lives too. We share with you the message, but we share with you our lives. Paul's first comparison out of this section for ministry, what was that of the connection to a child? We were children among you. And what he meant by that is we were not demanding of you. We were not overbearing in our ministry. We were gentle and lowly as a child is. But then inspired of God thinking of a better connection even for the church, a second effort to communicate the philosophy of the ministry. Paul said, that we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. The connection of a loving mother amongst the people in need. Now this seems appropriate for baby dedication Sunday, doesn't it? This church in Thessalonica was was planted by the apostle Paul and a church body for the sake of defining what a church actually is. A church is the local body of baptized believers in Jesus Christ who are living in the truth and following the Lord's leading. This local body of baptized believers in Thessalonica was planted by the Apostle Paul and his team. What did they do? They do just like we do. They gather together, they group together, they move together for the glory of God and the good of the people there. And Acts chapter 17 tells us about this church plant and says that the preaching ministry in this church plant when it got started lasted for three Sabbaths. So for three weeks, three different times, Paul had the opportunity to preach the good news of Jesus Christ before the people in the city of Thessalonica. In those three weeks, there were Jews that were persuaded towards the gospel, meaning they turned from themselves and they turned to God, believing that they needed forgiveness and new life and they trusted and followed Jesus. But there were also Greek men and women, the Bible says. Greek men and women. So people from different cultures began to turn towards the gospel and the truth of God's word. Three weeks time, three messages, three Sabbaths, they preached and people responded. But it's also suggested in a certain commentary that Paul and his team, while they preached for three Sabbaths, it could be and likely is that they were there for three months. So what did they do in three months if they only preached on three Sabbaths? They were building relationships and you can see this in the language of Paul as he speaks through 1 Thessalonians. It takes time and energy to care for children, mothers. Can you say amen to that? As he connects the ministry and philosophy of ministry to the church at Thessalonica and their approach, he connects it to a mother and it takes time and energy to care for children. And this was the connection that Paul made to those in the city. It wasn't just about sharing a message and moving on cold calling the gospel and then moving forward. It was about investing time towards a relationship like a mother does with their child. Now, there may be situations that require a pointed word towards hope. There may be times where you need to stop what you're doing and you need to go straight over and share the gospel. Maybe you only have an opportunity. I've debated about whether or not to share this. I I, I shared this with you because I truly hope that the Lord would use this conversation in this young man's life. But, but recently I'm, I'm in an airport with some friends and we are about to get on the plane. I'm headed towards the restroom real quick. I look over and I see a young man who is sitting on his phone and he is bawling, crying right there in front of God and everybody. So I thought to myself, as I'm making my way to the restroom, I was like, Lord, if I come back out of here and he's still the same, then I'll talk to him because I feel like you're leading me to do so. So sure enough, I walk back out, the first guy I see, and he's there, and he's still got tears going down his eyes. And I'm like, all right, buddy, buckle up. It's time to practice what you preach. So no joke, I I walk straight over to him like this. He's sitting there crying, and I just got on my knee like this right here, and I said, hey, man, (laughs) 
My name's Andy, and I don't know who you are, but I know there's brokenness in your life right now, and I'm here to tell you there's hope in Jesus Christ. I, I don't know exactly what's going on, and for about two minutes, he just shared with me what exactly is going on in his life, and the truth is, if that is the truth, he's looking at a tough road ahead. And I can't sit, I don't know where he's going. I can't sit with him. I can't stay with him. I, we're getting back home. He's going to do a different place. But all I can tell him is a word of truth right in that moment that I don't know what you have going on or what bad decision that you've made. But I know that you can find forgiveness and freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's way to the way, truth, and life of your life. There are times when the Spirit of God leads us to do that and leave where we are, go straight to somebody, just take a holy risk and get real bold. And it was good that I had friends around me that were like, this guy slaps me, they may slap him back, amen? And I was glad for that. But in that moment, I felt like, hey, the, the truth is, is people that are broken are very not likely to slap you in the face. They're searching for answers. They are hurting. So I left there. I, I prayed for him as people are walking by looking at me like I'm super weirdo. And I'm like, I'm not going to see you again. So. But, but then, then we move forward. Those, those times, listen, life allows for that at certain times. And let me just tell you this. I've missed opportunities too. There have been times when I've had to ask God, not for leading, but for forgiveness because I didn't do what I was supposed to. And that was just a time where I happened to, to submit to the Lord. I'm thankful for it and pray God uses it towards his restoration. But the normal rhythms of our life, the normal rhythm, rhythms of our life are not putting us in those situations regularly. It's in the routine relationships with people in our community. That's the normal rhythms of our life. And in the normal rhythms of our life, we are to be, like Paul says, like a mother amongst children, where we are discerning the needs of those that we influence. We are caring for them. We are attending to them and we get to know them and we love them towards an end result. There may be situations that require a pointed word towards hope very quickly, quickly swiftly, but the rhythms of most of our lives provide opportunities for ongoing relationships. Now, I want you to hear this this morning. This is out of a book called Life on Mission. And it said, in general, people don't like to feel like they are a project or they are receiving a sales pitch. And they may have the wrong idea about why you want so badly for them to become a follower of Jesus. Just like any friendship, as a relationship grows deeper, you will naturally get to the things that are important. I wanna stop right here too and just say this too. If you've been invited here this morning by someone who's been inviting you to church, wanting you to come with them, wanting you to hear a message from the Bible, it's not because they're trying to make you religious. It's that they believe that God has made a way for their everlasting life and forgiveness and the purpose of their every day, and they want you to have the same thing. They simply and seriously just want you to be right with God when you die. I can't imagine why anybody would be offended by that, but some are. Nobody's trying to push religion on you. If we can push religion on you, you can take it right off. But God's Spirit is leading those who follow Jesus to invite people and invest in people. And so that is the encouragement for all of us to spend time getting to know people towards the end goal. It's a process leading to an event of sharing the good news and, and that some may come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Mothers don't gather their children around for a one and done message. Mothers in the morning don't gather their kids together and go, all right, guys, it's time for eternal truths. I mean, some of you might do that, and God bless you if you do. But more than most, mothers are just building an invested life 
and those that they care about. It's a trusted relationship towards a desired result. It's not a cold call message. For most mothers, it's not an authoritative demanding like Paul could have done. No, for a mother, it's a desire for development and their tactical approach, their strategy is one word, care. They just care. And so they invest their life into the life of those that they influence towards an end result. They involve themselves in what? They involve themselves in the hurt of their children. They are close by. They attend to their needs. They are nurturing and caring. And that takes away barriers to intentional conversations about things that matter, does it not? Mothers involve themselves in the provision of their children. They know what they want. They meet their needs. They're sensitive to their interests. They are sensitive to their disinterest, their fears of their kids. Because why? Because they know them. When we identify people who need the gospel, we can't just say, those people I think need the gospel. You've got to get to know them whether, to understand whether they do or not. You have to understand what their needs are where their brokenness is, where their fears are. And what does this take? All of this takes time. We shared our lives with you. Not a quick stop. It takes invested, intentional time with people that you believe need the Lord. I was in Subway the other day, and I, somebody told me the other day I make food references a lot, and I think that I do. But I was in Subway, here's another one. I was in Subway the other day, and uh, I, I was watching this family in front of me, and the guy is, is kind of late to the game, the, the husband, the father. And the mother, though, has got one baby right beside her close, and then three others. And she's at Subway, so she's ordering for every single one of them. Now, for any of you that have kids that have ever been in Subway, you know it's not like a ham and cheese sandwich with mayonnaise. It's crazy stuff. It's crazy stuff. You know, it's like salt but no pepper, Mayonnaise on one half of it. It's crazy stuff. And she's just rattling it off, just like that. One, two, three. She gets to the smallest child and she goes, she takes the bread, she goes, and I know this sounds crazy, but just a small piece of bread for this little one and some shredded cheese on top. And I was like, what? That sounds terrible. And, and the guy behind the counter was like, doesn't sound crazy. Mamas do this all the time. And she's doing the same thing. How does she know that? because she's done that over and over and over. She's done that at home. She's listened to their needs. She's attended to their interests. She's making provision. She's in the process of relationship that takes away barriers towards intentional conversations. And out of that care comes in, intention. Out of that care, that is the tactic towards getting their children to go where they need to go. They're steering, yes, but there's also this intentional relationship towards I care about you and the things that are near and dear to my heart, I want you to care about them too. And what does that take? It takes time. It takes selfless interest, not self-interest. And once we identify where God is at work and when we identify people who need the gospel, we have to be as attentive and intentional as a mother with her own children to their needs and to what their heart is telling you. I want you to note this too, and this is good. The most attractive element of influence is love. Think about that. The most attractive element of influence is love. When you know someone cares, there are less barriers to the message. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Paul goes on to say, Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, still using family language? Don't you remember how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living. 
And we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. Jesus, as we said last week, Jesus may have always taken the approach to others as, I've got what you need. But he never leveraged that to say, now that you've got what you need, pay me what you owe me. He he was not looking out for what he could receive. Now now that I've helped you, what can you do for me? This was not the attitude of Jesus. It was not the attitude of Paul. Paul there amongst them as a missionary made tents to sell during his missionary stops. He would toil day and night, the scripture says, working like those around him to identify with them. Remember last week's point, I'm from where you're from. He was identifying with them. And then out of that, he also shared his life and the word of God. You cannot forget that part. He shared the word of God to invest in them towards salvation. The first connection was a mother. The second connection is an investor. What does an investor do? An investor has resources that we have, amen, the resources of salvation, the spirit of God, the word of God, the church of God. Got the grace of God on our life. We have the resources to make a difference in the world. So an investor has resources that positions him to be reliable and an investor doesn't take money. An investor gives it to support the one that he is invested in. He gives it with the expectation of what? Of achieving a profit, an end result. Listen to this and write it down. Paul lived to gain ground in relationships, not lose it. Paul lived to gain ground, not lose it. And gaining ground with people means less taking and more giving. It's less about what can you do for me and more about what can I do for you. Paul shared his life. He shared God's word. He gave it to them as a blessing like an investor would do to somebody that he is investing in. But that's not all it says in that passage. It also says that he lived right. He lived right before those that he was sharing the God, God's word with. He said, you yourselves know that our ministry before you was not taking money from y'all and moving on. It was devout. He said, you know, our ministry was honest. We were faultless before you. We were there on purpose and we did it for the reasons that God put us there for. This is what? This is practical righteousness that should be in the life of every believer, that God works out in our life as we yield to him. We have to be credible to witness effectively. Now, if you take that to mean that I'm gonna spend the next 50 years of my life getting credible, you are delaying God's purpose for your life as a Christian. You are taking way too long to give your life over to the Lord you've already called on and said you would in the beginning. Last night, football on the West Coast comes on late sometimes. I should already be going to bed, but I'm sitting there watching another football game. That's just not as good football, amen? <laughs> Whatever, that's a side note. So I'm watching this, and it's, it's Washington versus Cal, California. They are interviewing two former players from Cal that have just been inducted into the Cal Football Hall of Fame. Don't go look up this video because there's other things attached to it that you don't need to see as far as the language goes. Now that I've said that, it's probably going to cause you to do that. (laughs) But they're interviewing these two former football players. And it's Marshawn Lynch and Justin Forsett. And the 
interviewer asked Marshawn Lynch, what is your first memory of this guy right here that's standing to your right? Because they played together and both of them have been inducted to their, local, their university's football hall of fame. This is what he said of a guy who's beside him that played football, was great at it, is now in, the, in their university's hall of fame and also played very well in the NFL. You know what he said? He said, I've never heard him say a cuss word. That's what, now this message is not on cursing, but don't take it personal unless it's personal. He said, I've never heard this guy say a cuss word. And they kind of laughed and he goes, no, seriously, I've never heard him say a bad word. He said, I think I may try to get him to say one before we leave this weekend. And she looked at him and handed the, the mic to him. He's like, are you gonna do it? Like, this is so weird. And he was like, no, I'm good. I was like, praise God for that. And so he goes on and like, I, I think to myself, like out of all the things that you remember as a grown man in this profession, and he did it very, very well alongside you for a long time. The thing that you remember most about this man standing beside you is that he did not talk like you talked. He did not talk like everybody else there talked. And I was like, this is good stuff. I get my phone out and I start to Google Justin Forsett, who is a born again believer in Jesus Christ and who gives testimony to following God above football in his life. Now, I wonder where the folks around him are going to go if they have brokenness in their heart and they need forgiveness and want to know if they can be right with God. Listen, I'm not here to condemn anybody's mouth. That's the job of the Holy Spirit of God to sharpen us and get us stronger where we are weak. But what I am here to tell you is that when we are witnessing to the people around us, one of the things that usually holds us up from saying anything towards where we want to go ourselves and where we know that they need to be is our own credibility it's our own weaknesses that we've called upon God to forgive us of and we need to turn from and let them have it and, and, and let God have it. An investment with people requires, listen to this, a credible lifestyle, not a perfect one, not a perfect lifestyle, a credible lifestyle. If you and I could be perfect, there's no need for us to share a message of Jesus. There's no need for us to share the message of God's hope and grace and forgiveness and love. We would just tell them about us and how we've done it. We don't share that. We share the story of the sacrifice of Jesus because the law and the God's word points out that we are sinners. Our mouth does go off the tracks every once in a while. We, we do things that we're not supposed to do. And because we're all in the same boat, let me tell you about our Savior who makes a way for us to have forgiveness and grace and stand right before God. But as we have received forgiveness and grace, we are not to be perfect, but to be credible. What, what was Paul talking, how did he say? He said we were devout. We were distant from sin. We were exemplary in conduct. We were without fault before you. We had the right motives towards doing what we were doing. There was a preacher who had a, a friend who, who was a famous actor. And the preacher was kind of frustrated and he said, what's the deal here, man? And the actor was like, what are you talking about? He said, well, let's just kind of bring this together. The preacher said, you pretend for a living. That's what you do. You work in fiction and you do it well, and the people flock to you wherever you go. He said, I'm a preacher. I don't work in fiction. I tell the truth of God, and there's no crowd following me at all. And the friend and the actor said to him, he said, well, I think it's pretty simple. He said, well, how's it simple, the preacher said. He said, I present my fiction as though it were the truth. You present your truth as though it were fiction. Church, to believe the message out of your relationship is to believe you, that it's real, devout, 
hopeful, honest, it's faultless, it's, it's not perfect, but there's a trusting and a trying. It's an exemplary of better and living positions, living this way positions us to be the go-to for people who want to know how to do something new and different, a neighbor who needs forgiveness, who needs answers, who needs counsel, who needs truth, and be encouraged today. Devoted is a life, think about what the word is, devoted. Devoted is a life that does not give up after a bad day that does not give up after a bad weekend. You may here today, be here today and God's spirit is wearing you out because of the way that you talk to people, whether that be in coarse language or maybe it's just your tone or your attitude or whatever it is and God's spirit is requiring you to turn from that and turn to him. But devotion doesn't quit because you get a spanking. Devotion doesn't quit because the spirit of God gets on to you. In fact, you should be thankful that he does. Because whom the Lord loves, he what? He disciplines. He gets after us. Because we don't belong to ourselves any longer. And be encouraged today because, again, that word devoted doesn't give up. It does what? It admits wrong, it turns from it, and it trusts and tries again under the grace of God. The gospel is not a way to achieve right living. The gospel is a way to receive forgiveness. But if forgiveness doesn't lead to right living then we didn't understand our need for forgiveness in the first place. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And you know we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Paul took a pastoral approach to people who needed the gospel Paul connected his ministry to the ministry like a mother who cares for her children. Paul invested his life like an investor seeking to be a blessing, not a burden. And he did so with credibility of Christian character. And Paul finally, like a concerned father, steered those he influenced towards a life of value before God. What did he say? We pleaded with you. We urged you. We encouraged you towards God. That's just like a daddy, isn't it? A good daddy. A daddy, a good daddy cares towards a certain direction. A father who cares, he doesn't simply just turn his kids loose and hope it turns out all right. He is steering them towards things that will be good for them. He doesn't leave those within his influence just to hopefully they'll find direction, trust their heart and their own truth, and they'll end up there. Give me a break. A good daddy has the end goal not to be friends. A good daddy has not the goal to be just a good example. That's not what a father does. My dad was my friend to the age of four. He was friendly until the age of 24, but we weren't friends from four to 24. You hearing me? And you know why? Because my dad knew that I didn't need another buddy. I needed a daddy. I needed a parent, a responsible father who did not lose focus in my life. It was his responsibility to be my parent. So he stayed after my sister and me, both my parents together, but in the context of the scripture, a father doesn't lose focus. We urged you, pleaded you, encouraged you towards God, towards an end result. I remember, I've told this before, but it's, it's been, when, when our kids were small, we went up to Louisville and we went to the Louisville Slugger Bat Museum. I don't know if you've ever been there before. It's really cool. And there you walk and you see some of the bats that the, the greats use and all that. They also have a batting cage. So you can go in the batting cage and you can get one of the Louisville Slugger bats and you can pick the speed they're gonna throw it to you at and, and you can take batting practice right there. 
So I was like, I had a Davis, I think at the time was really small. And I was like, well, this is cool. Dad take, dad was with us. Dad takes his seat right over there. And I was like, well, I'm gonna take a few cuts. <laughs> and I look like a little kid and I grabbed the bat. Now you gotta understand at this time, I'm about 27, 28 years old. And I, I stand in the box. I have a short history of baseball, but I stand in the box and all of a sudden, here they come. You know, they're throwing it out. It's not, it's throwing BP, so it's not hot. And, you know, I'm, I'm hitting them pretty good. And after like two swings, dad, who's sitting right over there, who, who again, I'm 28, I'm done with baseball. He's now in his 60s. He goes, man, let the ball travel. Let it get deep. Like he's giving, he's coaching me. And I'm going, there's nothing on the line here. <laughs> you know, like there's no scouts that are watching me outside of the cage. But even then, it, 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 like, it reminded me like I'm 10 again, you know? Like, let the ball get, he, hit it where it's pitched. If I heard that one time, I heard a million times. A father never loses focus. Always guiding, always steering towards a result that is good for you. And this was the connection that Paul made. We urged you, we encouraged you, we were steering you, we were pleading you to be right with God. If we are a follower of Jesus who exercises everyday faith and lives on everyday mission, the people that we interact with, these are people that God has given us the responsibility within relationship to steer them towards his holiness and his grace. And those people around us every day are made in the image of God just like we are and they are all eligible for redemption just like we are. The people around us in the community that we are in, they are not extras in the movies of our lives. I want you to think about your regular relationships. The family you see often. The family that maybe you see a few times a year and it's coming up this year. Don't assume that they're all saved. Don't assume just because they live in North Alabama that they believe the gospel. The guy or the girls, teenagers, the guy or the girls that sits beside you in the, the desk in your classrooms, they have a story. What is it? Do they have parents and people in their life that are, are, are steering them and carrying them towards the gospel? You may be the only one. The lady behind the counter that you see regularly during the week, she has a name, she has a need. The families on your ball teams, they look like they have it together. They're just like anybody else. They have fears and issues and idols and brokenness. It's easy to get lost in our work. It's easy to get lost in our school. It's easy to get lost in our entertainment, but we cannot lose focus because if we believe like we say we believe, people are dying all the time separate from God, apart from God. The next book in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9 the scripture says of those who don't know the Lord God and who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus this is what the Bible says they will be punished with eternal destruction forever separated from the Lord and his glorious power no longer with the ability no longer with the opportunity to call upon the power of God the grace of God the work of God to save them at the end of the life, separate from God, they will be separate from him forever. If this is the truth that we believe, there are people that we know that are perishing and dying apart from Jesus. This is the sobering truth. So at least identify people who need God's grace. 
and invest your life in them towards the end result of salvation. C.S. Lewis said that the salvation of souls is the real business of life. Maybe your business today is for you yourself to, to get credible, to trust God and to try. And you may have heard this today too, and we're about to give an invitation here in just a moment. You may think to yourself, I don't know about the witnessing part, but I know I need the salvation part. I know I myself need to be right with God in front of these people and everybody else. I want to be right with God and I want to know it. That's why we give an invitation, an opportunity for you to respond at the end that you could walk forward and just say, I need to be saved. I just need to be saved. You might want to go home and, and like I did, you may want to talk to somebody that you trust and then you may want to get down on your knees beside your bed and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved, to cry out in faith, to acknowledge your sin, but to acknowledge that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But as we leave here today, as we think about evangelism, as we think about identifying people in places, as we think about investing our lives, I want you to leave here with this question, with these three questions. Not to elaborate on them, just to ask these three and we'll close it down. One, how often do you spend quality time with people who don't know Jesus? How often do we spend quality time with people who don't know Jesus? Two, in what ways are your normal, everyday surroundings your mission field? Now, I said I wasn't going to elaborate on but I'm going to elaborate on this one. In what ways are your everyday surroundings, your normal surroundings, your mission field? Do you know what happens when you go to work on mission? When you go to the ball field on mission, when, when you go to your family on mission, when you go grocery shopping on mission, what happens is now God has changed the reason why you go and now you no longer are waking up every day and clocking in, you are doing so with purpose. God is challenging you. There's a reason why you're there. You know why you're talking to people on behalf as an instrument of God for his grace. Third question is this. Sobering question for all of us. Can anyone on this planet connect their relationship with God to their relationship with you? Can anyone on this earth connect their relationship with God to their relationship with you? I brought this up with me today. This is our connect card. This is a, you know, to get a bulletin on the top. This is also a form of invitation. At the bottom here, there's, there's availability for you to respond, for you to place it in the offering kiosk there. And just slip that in. But you, you've got a place here for name and number and contact information. But there's also parts here that say, I'm new to the area. I'd like to join this church. I, I, I want to get my baptism in order. There's also a part here that says, I'd, I'd like to know how to become a Christian. I want to know how to join this church. Listen, there's something special about getting on your knees before God at the altar and praying for people if that is your response. You definitely, you, you can be a, a part of public profession and come today and talk to a pastor, decision counselor and get it right before you even take your car to the house. You can talk to us about being saved and making sure it's right before you leave. But if you would rather us reach out to you this week, this is why we put these things on this card. Quietly, simply fill it out. On the way out, drop it in that box and we'll follow up with you. Don't leave here with a conviction on your heart without the intention for God to change it in your life. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Lord, this is your church. This is your time with us, Lord. And I 
pray, O oh God, that it would be on purpose. Lord, in the remaining few moments, I ask, O oh God, today that if there be any with a decision to make, to join the church, to be baptized, to be saved, Lord, that they would entrust us with a few moments just to talk to them about what that means. Lord, we have people here, as you know, that are equipped and prepared to have that conversation, Lord. We pray, O oh God, that we would not leave with a stirring in our heart and just leave it as stirring, that we would take next steps. Lord, I also pray today that if our heart towards evangelism has been apathetic or maybe wavering, maybe we're dealing with our own issues of credibility, God, lead us to fill the altar of this church. Lead us, O oh Lord, to put the needs and the cares and the direction of ourselves towards you, the needs of the care of others, Lord. Help us, Lord, to lay these things before your feet. Spirit of God, you take the pressure off us as you work in the hearts and lives of people, drawing them to you. We just want to be used. Lord, if we've not given that a thought in a long time, help us today, Lord, to pray. Lord, to seek you, to implant this message in our hearts so that we take it with us as soon as we leave here. We love you, O oh God. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love in our life. And Lord, out of that, I pray, Father, we would live for you, live in this world and light it up and not fall in love with it. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you. Decision counselors, pastors, open for you. Let's worship and respond together.